0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete, where I interview interesting creative people about their projects and their relationship with the internet. Today's guest is the brilliant Caroline O'Donoghue, who I've been following online for years. I don't know if we'd actually met in person before this conversation, but it felt like we had, which is always the way when you know someone's work so well. And... I love this episode. It's very chatty and we talk about her brilliant book, Promising Young Women, which is out now. Caroline is an Irish writer, musician and podcaster living in South London. She is a contributing editor for ThePool.com, one of my favourite websites, where she worked previously as a writer and social media editor for a few years She is now a columnist for The Times Island. She's written for Glamour, Grazia, BuzzFeed, among many others, and is a fantastic writer. She co-hosts the podcast School for Dumb Women and her new podcast, which is called Sentimental Garbage, which is a show dedicated to discussing romance fiction and commercial women's fiction. So definitely check that out. Caroline's debut novel, Promising Young Women, came out last June, published by Virago, and was shortlisted for the Irish Book Awards Newcomer of the Year. It's out in paperback this year in March, on March the 7th, so make sure you pre-order the paperback now. And her second novel will be published next year. In this episode, we talk about the themes in her book, Uh, One of those themes is sort of centred around the sort of Me Too movement, even though Caroline wrote the book whilst that whole thing was kind of breaking out coincidentally. And we talk about how she wrote and, and presented the internet within her novel. We talk about the nuance in conversation and how novels so brilliantly can do that and also her new podcast and why she believes we should reclaim the word chick i hope you enjoy this episode and if you like what you hear please go and leave a rating or a review on itunes so i can carry on making this podcast thank you so much for listening and here it is Welcome, Caroline, to my podcast. Thank you so, so much. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Emma. I'm a huge fan of this podcast and your interviewing style, so
0: it's pretty big expectations here. Oh, You're talking thank to a you. Fan. <laughs> well, I read your book. I was saying I probably finished it in August. I've been just reading fiction at the moment. I'm just mm-hmm. in that headspace of just loving novels again. I went through a phase of just putting them on the back burner. I think it was because I was trying to write nonfiction. And I'm going to get the most awfully cliche question out of out of the uh, way but you worked at the pool didn't you kind of I in did. quite a intense you know you were writing a lot of content that was really brilliant thank you you know doing a lot every day writing so how do you write a novel alongside a job yeah
1: it it was a it was a funny one cuz um so i started at the pool in whenever the pool started i was like employee number 5 or 6 or something as their social media manager and before that i had been working in a in like a string of advertising agencies each larger than the last for you know writing tweets for like um you know, Wall's ice cream and, and stuff like that. And I've been there. Yeah, well, yeah, I've actually always loved that about you because, you, like, you know, you've always been someone who followed that trajectory as well. And whenever yeah. I felt a bit lost, um, you and Lauren Bravo are two people whose like social media. I used to always keep up with being like, oh, she's doing it. Um, yeah, so I worked in advertising and then I, I had this website called Work in Prowess on the Side, which was just me and my friends doing mad blogs. Um, And then because of these kind of like, you know, corporate social media and uh, sort of knowledge of online culture, I got hired to do the pool and be their social media manager. And then um, I was really sneaky, actually. Sam Baker you know, basically wants to kill me because um, uh, I told her that I wasn't interested in being a journalist and that I only cared about social media and it could not have been a bigger lie. But, you know, <laughs> just you say anything. Um, and so I, I basically started sending her work and then I, I managed to carve out this little role for myself there of writing a piece every morning and then doing the social media in the afternoon. And it ended up being a really complimentary role and um, it was fantastic because... I was finally writing for a mass audience after literally moving in, moving to London from Cork in 2011 with the specific goal of being a writer mm. and then working in so many different industries along the way. And then finally I was doing it. I was being a writer. And I felt really horrible, do you know, suddenly, because it was like I'd always been this person. That's why I really relate to your multi-hyphen method thing, because... I'd always had so many side projects in the go and suddenly I didn't there was no need for them anymore because I was re- writing for people who were reading it and I found that this kind of weird loner voice I had carved out as someone who writes for a very small audience online with people who read Work and Prowess had to be ironed out to cater to a very large audience because the pool is quite broad. It's talking to a very specific kind of yeah. woman and I had to sort of learn how to flatten my weirdness a little bit to talk to those women. And it was great training. But I was, I was kind of like, I got a bit down because I was like, well, where's, where's the weirdo gone? I want to engage my inner weirdo. And so I started writing this book.
0: That is so interesting because... One thing I was thinking when I was reading your book was, I mean, it's hilarious and it's odd. Like the (laughs) humour. Thank you. Like it is kind of in a weirdo, isn't it? Which I think, I think the reason I loved it so much is because I'm so used to reading things that an editor has been gone. Oh, that's a bit weird and deleted it.
1: Oh, that's so fabulous that you said
0: that. I mean, some of them have. <laughs> like, Can I just say my favourite bit really quickly? Oh, which I would is love Really that. niche. Okay, but you know, in it, sometimes there's um, people saying like dreams they've had. Maybe they're writing in, and someone yeah. said that they like gave birth to a baby that looked like Paul Dano. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that made the final edit? I mean, that's, I, I mean, maybe that's my humour and i've only just realized cuz i literally like had to put the book down cuz so i was <laughs> laughing so
1: much i know it's it's actually one of my favorite parts too and no one has ever mentioned it people only I like time, well, okay like let's talk about feminism but no one's ever mentioned <laughs> that paul dano bit to which to an extent like, i kind of forget that i wrote it <laughs> we've
0: all had dreams like that though that's the
1: thing yeah. it's not that weird <laughs> and this woman is talking about like about her like her miscarriage and how she's like you know struggling to get over it and then she's like i keep giving birth to paul dano <laughs> but that's how dream logic
0: goes totally um, yeah but it's like, Similar themes that I've read that you've maybe said on Twitter or The Pool. Yeah. It's in here, but in a totally different way. Yeah, I'm
1: I'm glad that you do think it's different. Because I would hate if it was just like, you know, a sort of a Caroline Dunhu character that was going around a, a world that people could recognise from my Twitter or something. I do think it is different. It felt much more organic to give it to a real person mm-hmm. for some r- I don't know what I'm getting at with that. You know what I mean?
0: Um uh, Totally. And also how annoying for people to, like, conflate a female author with a female protagonist. Like, it I would is... never in a million... I'm actually so conscious of that that I would go the other way. Right. I would, like, try and start from, this is totally nothing to do with this person. And if the yeah. author is like, oh, it is a little bit of me, I'd be like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? I still don't really know where I land on that because um, it is a fictional... Character, obviously, and uh, the book is completely a work of fiction. But at the same time, you know, the first bit of advice every young writer gets is write what you know. But then when women write what they know, which is primarily, you know, your work life, your friendships, your relationships. It's seen as kind of like, oh god, she's just running by herself, isn't she? Mm. You know, so it's a weird dichotomy. So I think everyone sort of starts with stuff they know really well. So, for example, I knew the advertising world really well. So I placed a girl who was about my age at the time of writing, which is twenty six, um, in in an agency, an advertising agency that I knew quite well. It, like I knew the size of it well. I knew th- how it operates, what it would do, like how a HR stream would would move. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and that was all taken from experience. But as soon as you start twisting and adding things, like the first time you add something to the character that has nothing to do with you. Like, for example, Jane comes from a single parent family. I do not. I come, my parents are still together and very much in love. But that that's changes it again. And then you change something else. And then by draft three, four, five, I think I had 15 drafts of that book. You, there's someone who's completely different to you and you almost see as your little sister in a way right. you see her as this like character that you've coached and
0: schooled, and she's kind of trailing around after you a bit you know yeah that's so interesting to start from a because to write this amount of words in a fictional world where and also with a novel no one's really asking you to do it are they this is a pure yeah. art form of like you have to go and take yourself away and do it so you have to be interested in the subject matter otherwise how can you get through the book it's funny because like, the reason it was born was because someone did
1: ask me. Like, I don't think I would have had the confidence because I, I was someone who um, would o- enter all these short story competitions and stuff. And I, they're always around. Uh, and thinking that, that was the way into fiction was to sort of win prizes and that kind of thing. I'd known some people who had gone that way and who would won very big prizes. And And it was, for some reason, it never caught hold. Like, I was never able to write the kind of short stories that seemed to resonate with anyone other than maybe five people. Um I, I got a short story on the toast which was like was a amazing. Huge, that was huge for me. I was uh, so excited. But that was the closest thing I ever came to like anyone caring about my fiction. And so I'd basically given up on the concept. I thought like, okay, clearly you're not good at this because empirically you've entered 50 competitions and you haven't even been shortlisted or heard back from any of them. And then um someone from a a, a different publisher Uh, saw my writing online said have you ever considered writing fiction and I said I I have actually Um, and then she said well I'm looking for somebody to kind of fill a kind of millennial Marion Keys role in my list Uh, I think that could be you. And I was like, fabulous. I love Marion Keys. And she was bringing up Mm Catlin Moran as well. It's brilliant people who I would love to be considered in the same line as. And she said, well, go away. Write 20,000 words and then come back to me and we'll talk about acquiring it. I was like, fabulous. And then um, the weird thing is, I think lots of people, and maybe this is why people start fiction and then stop, is that they, they have an idea of what kind of book they should write and then another one comes out entirely. So, like, I really wanted to write a really funny kind of Helen Fielding, Nick Hornby, London foibles type of um, novel. But then the more I wrote, the more this weird, spiky, weird, edgy, lonery thing came out. And then when I gave it back to this editor, these 20,000 words, she was like, this is not what I asked for. (laughs) This is nothing. This is what is this? i mean well done you were trying but categorically no um and then but then by that point i was so um i had so much confidence from you know being asked to do it in the first place that i just you know hurtled on
0: to the end and eventually found a publisher that's so interesting because it's almost like sometimes if someone plants a seed for you it's then in there yeah then now you're like oh i could write a novel yeah, like if one person who works in that field thinks
1: like, oh, you got something, then that's enough, isn't mm. it? You know, that's better than like a random, you know, short story prize made up of like academics and someone who owns a bookshop. And those people are great, but like... All it really takes. It's like that famous, like that Lady Gaga quote that keeps going
0: around. If there are a hundred oh,
1: people in the room.
0: And 99 don't believe in you. <laughs> and one of them is Bradley Cooper. <laughs> and he keeps touching your nose. <laughs> oh my God. That is my favorite meme at the moment. It's lovely, isn't oh, it? Love it. Bless oh. her. Someone needs to tell her next time that oh, if you're a fan of Lady Gaga, you'll watch every interview. <laughs> um, do you think that you're more proud of the book? Because it is 100% yeah, you. Definitely. Definitely.
1: Um, because it's funny, because uh, I saw this very funny
0: tweet going around the other
1: day about someone saying, um, people are always coming up to me saying, why don't you write a, you know, a Nicholas Sparks book or a or a commercially successful book as if I am choosing to write commercially unsuccessful <laughs> books. It's kind of like, I don't, I'm not one of those people who gets a million ideas. I get like one idea and then I am stuck with that until the next one comes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I feel like I almost had no choice but to just complete that one. And I think what helped as well is that, there didn't seem to be any other books that were like it like i I'd, I'd read a lot of gothic women's fiction and I'd read a lot of workplace comedy fiction, but I hadn't read like a smash of the two, yeah, and that really felt was really compelling to me, and I was like, well, there's a the thing of no one can compare it unfavorably if it doesn't exist, you
0: know yeah yeah, no, but that is hundred percent how i how I felt when I read it, and it's like it's a big compliment that there's nothing else really like it i've yet to find a book like it it's i love books that do this where you start reading it and you're like oh okay cool and then you get to the middle and you're like oh and (laughs) then you're like into the last part and you're like jesus like this is like really changing and evolving and like speeding up and i wondered did you intentionally want to kind of make each part very different
1: well, yeah, weirdly, because like I don't know have you ever used the um, writing tool Scrivener?
0: Oh, only ju- I've only just recently really? uh, discovered it. I love it. It is a game changer, isn't it? It's, I love it's... setting a little goal and then seeing the bar like move up. You can set goals. You can su- you can <laughs> set like a daily goal. I did not know this. And it like light well, it doesn't light up, but it like goes green, and it's like I've hit my goal. It makes it like hitting your word count really exciting. Okay, I didn't know that that at all. <laughs>
1: What do you use it for? I've been using it for like three years. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been telling everyone to use it. I didn't know that was a feature. Um, No, so what it does is um, it allows you to... um, put like your chapters in different folders and then within those folders there are scenes so basically it makes it really easy to move chunks around and it stops you from having just one long big google doc or whatever oh god yeah you don't
0: have to copy and paste yeah exactly
1: or that thing where you have to wait for the whole document to load (laughs) because you've written it all on google docs because you're a nut job um and uh yeah so what scrivener does is that it, it um often divides if you choose the right setting it divides it into parts so it'll give part one part two part three part four and um it was a good way of me organizing okay this is the bit where she's single this is the bit where she's shagging her boss this is the bit where it's getting wrong and um i've forgotten to take that formatting out when i actually sent the book off and nobody questioned it oh,
0: interesting! but now
1: it's one of those things like retroactively i see i see it as being like each step as being like a descent into hell a bit what yeah yeah i mean (laughs) it's like she's like she starts off on the
0: mezzanine and she's going into the basement of hell (laughs) with the um like alter ego stuff Mm -hmm. the jolly politely yeah persona thing i mean it's it's a lot about the internet actually isn't it in this yeah. book and does that is that just something that you kind of felt like i have to write about this like this is a huge part of my life i know about this stuff mm-hmm. or how did that come out
1: well yeah i think um i think what was what really compelling was you weirdly you don't see the internet in novels and when you do it's quite uncomfortable isn't it i don't i don't really understand how we can have like a sort of a new generation of kind of fiction written by millennials and younger if you don't include it because it, it sort of rings quite false because everybody I know, the internet is a part of their life in some way, you know. Yeah. And what I find really compelling about Jane's specific journey is that... Oh, hair in my mouth. Jane's specific journey is that uh, she starts this online Agony And column whereby she's really kind of sassy and acerbic and she has just the right thing to say at the right time um, because her actual day-to-day life is quite meaningless and she has absolutely no power at work. She is like, nobody is counting on her opinion on anything and I think everybody has been there especially in their early 20s in their career and uh, that was really representative of how I felt Mm-hmm. In my first few years in London, where I was the least employable person alive, I had this kind of middling degree from a very from like the fourth best university in Ireland <laughs> and no real work experience apart from working in h m v and I was trying to break into all these like um like journalism internships and staff writer jobs and I had no qualifications and I was just working in admin jobs in different industries really really low down, feeling like i feeling like I was important. And that's weird because, like, I remember in those days when I was, like, 22, 23, 24... I was so much more confident in myself than i am now i thought i was like i really thought i was it Mm -hmm. like and uh, thinking i i have the answers to everything i know everything i'm funnier smarter and better than everyone in this room but there's no way of showing it because every time i talk just nonsense comes out and my hands are sweating and my clothes are terrible and everything is bad all the time but i know i'm very special and i think for lots of people lots of our generation that specialness and I'm putting specialness in inverted commas there came out online mm. in, a, in a place where you could control how people think and see you and you do have the right answers and like you notice that most people who are on Twitter like sounding off about you know what we're going to do about Brexit or whatever they're actually like 22 and they don't have a fucking clue you know and I think people they strive to seem really indomitable online
0: because they're so in real life you know that oh my god that is so true and also I feel like that just sums up being a millennial in some ways is especially like in the early days of working you feel maybe that entitlement because you are doing something on the side that's maybe cool online but your boss just like sees right through you and it's like this sort of I'm here and I'm ready and I can do it, but you don't believe in me. Yeah. Mixed with actual like entitlement.
1: Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> but like, you know, we were the generation who was so told we could do anything, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And I, and I especially think if you're, if you're like white, if you're middle class or whatever, um your your parents don't come from that immigrants thing of like well no I fought to be in this country therefore you will fight to preserve our family's place in this country you will become a doctor or engineer like if your parents are from several generations of middle class people who've lived in the same country they're probably going to be like you know what baby things are going to be fine if it doesn't work out come home <laughs> you know yeah. and I think that do- I mean it does imbue you with the sense of like oh it'll be
0: fine mm-hmm. that a lot of other people don't have the luxury of you know a hundred percent because the safety net is essentially a, a total freedom of just like if this all goes tits up yeah i won't be i won't be alone and it's like that's like when people talk about privilege i feel like family a family loving you is like pretty privileged yeah
1: like um i i feel like i have a weird um interpretation of privilege it's a very interesting thing for me at the moment especially because my second book is dealing with it a bit um but my i had a very like a i would i would say upper middle class upbringing in that you know my my dad has a really good job and uh cork is a really nice city to grow up and i went to like a like a girls private school and we weren't wealthy but we always ha- my parents said like had a real big thing with like getting the best education that you could possibly afford and then in 2008 the recession hit ireland and like my, my my dad's company was closed down and he basically lost his pension mm. and it was just a really 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 hard hard times for my family for my dad's peer group for everyone we knew kind of thing and it, it was like really shuddering um and so i immigrated uh with like literally a thousand pounds that was all actually a thousand euros so probably 800 (laughs) something pounds and that was like everything i had it was like this like weird like you know when when uh, aria goes to bravos with her weird golden coin (laughs) that's what i felt like it was like all the savings i had and there was nothing after that i knew there was nothing after that and i just feel like i got a real at the at the time it felt like a really raw deal but looking back i feel like cuz i grew up with the best opportunities and then when i literally the day i turned 18 all those opportunities <laughs> like that safety net kind of vanished in a in a financial way mm-hmm. and it was very much a you're out on your own you know yeah but it's still you know it's still un- unbelievably privileged because as you said to have a family that loves you yeah and gets what you're trying to do is is the biggest sort of golden ticket of all isn't it
0: w- reading the book um this kind of i don't know if you meant for this but i felt like you addressed kind of shame in women quite well in the book oh thank you that feeling of women still feeling like they can't do things without feeling like they're doing something wrong or it's shameful or like anything around like sexual fantasies or anything like freedom in that way yeah i don't know i felt like i felt kind of sorry for jane near the beginning i felt like she just was like really down on herself and like always felt like she was doing something wrong yeah well
1: i think she comes from this place well when we meet jane she has just finished with her kind of i want to say long-term partner is probably the wrong word for it because she's 26 and she's been with him for like three years but like the the nice guy that like it would make complete sense for you to stay with probably forever and i think a lot of people have that thing Um, where they're they're either their uni boyfriend or their first boyfriend after uni and they stay with them for between a year and three years and they think like, oh, well, I guess we're getting married. And then they just sort of like have a bit of a breakdown (laughs) between at some point being 23, 24, 25. And then um, they feel so ungrateful, like almost that there's something rotten or wrong with them because I feel like, Again, we were the generation that was raised on, like, Sex in the City and, like, if you if you find a good man, hold on to him kind of thing. And I feel like that rhetoric, even though it more belonged to our mother's generation, has really fallen down to us. Even though we actually have loads of options and there's really no need to have
0: that ultra monogamous view on things. It's like that mixed with the Samantha Jones thing. <laughs> totally. Because I feel like my promiscuous days, Samantha Jones made loads of things okay. Yeah, there's, a little But bit. there's still like a there's still a stigma to you know sleeping around as a woman.
1: But there was this, there was this weird thing of that like that Samantha in that show she was like this weird pirate lady. She she was like she was like obviously fabulous, but she was kind of an outlier within the show because like or even her friends were like how she behaves
0: is mad. <laughs> like, yeah, she, and it was mad. Had no one else to be like do it, no one else did the same as her. Yeah, yeah. there
1: was one episode where she um, found a friend who was also doing the same as her, who was like an older southern lady who was like blowing someone under a table in a restaurant and she was like, this is too much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there
1: can't be two of us in this city. Yeah. But anyway, um, because I think, so we, we meet Jane and she's after breaking up with this guy and she feels like she must be a defective, poisoned, rotten person because for the for the temerity to have met a nice person but decided they weren't mm-hmm. for you and then broken up with them. And so we meet her in this free fall where she's kind of particularly drawn to these two men, one of which is like age appropriate, handsome, sound, like a good pal around the office, the kind of guy you want to get off with at the office. And the other is this much older boss who is kind of a big question mark around everything he does. And he sort of treats her in a way that's like vaguely paternalistic, but also vaguely sexual. Mm. And also, but it's like, she knows it's kind of gross and weird,
0: but also sometimes you're turned on by things that are gross and weird. Yes. (laughs) And I was listening to, I don't know what I was listening to the other day. I think it was, uh someone dissecting eva wiseman's piece on porn the future of porn and how like women have been so excluded from anything to do with like you know like the porn world of like how it's made how it's directed like the choices that it's like women's tastes are probably as weird and creepy and strange as men's but like there's no space for it
1: right it's so it's so interesting um because I think even if you if you've ever been on a porn site, uh, if you've ever been on a porn site, <laughs> you porn have the site, excuse that you
0: were researching a book at least. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I actually can do that because in my next novel, um, the main character is like a cam girl, like she sells oh, pictures of herself and videos of herself. Um, so I actually did use Pornhub for research just to see what the trajectory was. Um, but yeah, if you look on those on the like uh, four women sections, they're always
0: like these weird Mills and Booney interpretations of what a female fantasy is well it's not dissimilar from like the way women's fiction is treated it's like yeah here's all the stuff and here's your little section like it's so funny isn't it
1: and then if you actually like get a few girls drunk and get them to talk about what porn they're actually watching like about half of them are gonna say lesbian porn and the other half are gonna say like casting couch porn <laughs>
0: I remember Catelyn Moran once saying like, because it's all so weird and so skewed to men, mm-hmm. that she was just like, sometimes there's like the amateur porn section. And yeah. she's like, I'll just watch that because at least it's real people. I know, even if it's really bad quality, at least it's people who are
1: genuinely affectionate for one another. Yeah, they're not being horrible to each other. I still think that Catelyn Moran probably has, I actually haven't read Ava Wiseman's piece, but I've listened to the high-low when they talk about yes.
0: it. Yes, so no, that's, that's where I heard the discussion. <laughs> I was trying to remember that was it, yeah. Yeah, Um I
1: feel like Caitlin Moran's essay on porn in How To Be A Woman is probably the thing I think about the most whenever I think about it. when she talks about the sort of um, a lot of porn is made in a very crassly commercial way, which is like, basically, they're pounding out <laughs> however many videos a day. And it's just horrible. And no one fancies each other. Yeah, this is quite a sideline.
0: This not- <laughs> is, this is, is, is. But actually, back to kind of um, talking about women and things. I don't think I read that much about younger women, not mm. Sex and the City, not all these other books, like younger women who I can identify with making decisions that they're still made to feel a bit shit about. And it just made me think, like, why? A funny one, isn't it? Particularly for Jane, because she sort of... She feels this weird attraction
1: to this this man who... Is called, his name is Clem, and there is definitely something sexy about him, but he, she's, like, self-aware enough to know from the beginning that he's probably not a great guy. Yeah. And she pursues it anyway, partly out of loneliness and partly out of, like, you just kind of want to look under that rock and see how many bugs are under there, you
0: know? Yes, yes. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. she's, she's doing all the stuff we all do. Yeah, totally. And, and I just hadn't read a character for a while that was, like speaking to that i suppose yeah
1: thank you and i think what begins for her as like a looking under the rock to see how many bugs are under there because she's got so little going on and because he's quite good at sort of getting his hooks into her in a very subtle way becomes a full-on obsession and then once you conflate that with it's weird it's like these weird conflicting things is that we're living in the sort of whatever wave of feminism that we're on now of like, oh, a woman's desire is natural and you can have sex any way you want and all this. But then once you layer career on top of that, and especially once you layer that women still don't get the opportunities that they deserve in in most careers, and that mo- even like something like advertising, which Jane works in, still at the top, if you look at any board, there's like one woman mm. with a perfect bob at the, at the top and there's no others. And, and why is that? And then if you layer on, like you, your career with your sort of sexual desire, like it's this weird imploding thing of how are you treated as a professional yes. and can you separate how because she she genuinely does start doing well at work. At around the same time, she starts checking her boss and she can't even figure out, am I doing well or am I just being promoted because I'm sleeping with the right people? Yeah. When actually, it's sort of both, you know? It's weird. Yeah. No, and, I, it, and I wanted it to be muddled. I wanted it to, like, have no real answer, you know? You can read it in kind of a few different ways. I'm really glad that you said that because I, what I've been...
0: This book came out in June and we're recording this in December. By the way, I'm trying to not do, like, any spoilers, which is why I'm sort of trying to be broad. Okay. But I think we're talking about it in a... In a broad enough way. Okay.
1: Yeah, so this came out in June and it's now December. So I've been promoting this for a little while and it's been interesting on a lot of panels and interviews and stuff. People are quite keen to bring up, um, you know, Me Too and Time's Up and everything, Um, which makes sense because it has been the year of that and it's really strange to have brought out a book about a workplace relationship that is abusive. There are elements of abuse in it, but abusive... Not in a way that is really comparable to the kind that we're seeing in the news. She is not... Everything she does with this man is her own choice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She could stop at any time. The point of the book is that girl who says, don't worry, guys, I got this. You know, that girl who's like, oh, don't worry, because I know he's a scumbag. So therefore, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I know. Um, And actually... She's in way over her head, and she kind of falls down this rabbit hole of this um, really quite, yeah, seditious person. Because mm. it's like we're in this moment where I don't know. I I'm a feminist, and I have you know made a lot of my career out of writing about feminism and thinking about it and talking about it. And I think it's a fascinating subject. But we're in this weird moment where like this huge sort of mindset and this this frame of thought that so many women are invested in and thinking about all the time is sort of being cross crosshatched against a huge capitalist society and that's where we end up getting like Frida Kahlo tote bags and we've named our cocktail after Virginia Woolf. Happy Feminism Day, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and people who are just like, oh, the acquiring of capital is feminist in itself, do you know what I mean? Like just making loads of money that's me being feminism, you know? Yeah. And I think people are always able... I'm very suspicious of something where people will use things like self-care or like feminism to sort of explain their own not great behaviour. Like there's, um, there was a great tweet going around there recently about um, oh I hit a cyclist but I couldn't be taking on all that negative energy because I'm doing self-care this week <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so I drove away or something like that yes. and I kind of I love taking the piss out of that and I love sort of analyzing that a bit you know like I- I'm always very suspicious of people who are like um oh this guy asked me to explain my argument um but I don't want to take on the emotional labor of teaching him about stuff well, I was like I'm afraid that isn't good enough bitch <laughs> like yeah you if you care about these things you have to make the argument and make the case and be compassionate and be empathetic and allow for people getting things wrong and you can't use feminism as a way for you to feel fucking smug about yourself
0: you know what I mean (laughs) well I I find that that can happen as well between groups of people who I think if they met in real life they'd get on really well but because there's like these walls you know that people make for themselves sometimes I think there's a culture of like I can't be bothered to explain to you all the things that I know and all the books that I've read, so you're you're just cancelled? A
1: little bit, especially when you're younger, tribalism comes really naturally to you, you know? Like, do you watch Drag Race at all?
0: You found drag no. Race? I need to. I need to get into that. Well,
1: I think because it's now been going on for so long, and there are so many like drag queens to be a fan of, that like the younger fans, it's a bit like sports. You know, and they just really, really rally behind one queen, and then if like another queen's yes. fans get all up in her face on Twitter, it becomes it starts this big flame war and stuff. And I just think that the younger you are, and the less you know about yourself, the more you need to define yourself by like big broad terms.
0: Totally. And if people
1: don't agree with you, you're like, well, you're not in the club.
0: yeah And I also think that when you're young you judge people by association so like you're friends of that person or yeah you're friends of that person so I can't be friends of you and I find like that happens online a lot like oh, I've oh, seen a lot of that lately of like yeah. um, if you follow this person I'm unfollowing you yes. kind of thing which yes. feels very playgroundy very you know? playgroundy yeah I, I'm kind of I'm looking forward to a world where like we're not online as much like just naturally yeah. we evolve and become less dependent on it so that we these behaviors aren't yeah. so Intense.
1: I would love a world whereby, um, like taking out your phone is being seen as like taking out a book in front of someone. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like if I were to take out my book in front of you right now, you'd be like, well, that's very rude. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, Like it should be something that you do when you have some time alone and nothing else is demanding you. Do you know what I
0: mean? Totally. Um, I really want to talk to you about your new podcast. Oh, great. (laughs) Because it feels like it's come out of maybe some of the discussions around the book. It definitely has. Or is it not linked?
1: So um, my new podcast is called Sentimental Garbage, although by the time comes out it'll be my old podcast um and it is about it's a discussion of sort of chicklet and it came out because because this um novel begins in a very um well because it's, no scratch that because it's a novel about a woman and her relationships and her friendships and how she feels about those friends and those relationships and because she's urban and because she's young uh people are like oh is it Chiclet kind of thing in the sort of like oh god I know we don't say that word anymore but you know <laughs> um, and I don't know and, and I started being like oh no of course not it's like a really artistic literary journey because I've been taught over so many years despite chicklet being the books that I was kind of raised on of being like oh no they're not worthwhile and I just think it's like this big thing with the things yeah. women enjoy as being lesser and then it just led to me being getting back into the genre in a big way because I think in my late teens slash early 20s I wanted to impress boys so much Mm. that I was just reading what they read and I was reading you know Chuck Palahniuk and all that kind of stuff
0: and actually my heart was with you know Marion Keys the whole time you know yeah it is weird when that word I remember when that word was like you don't say that word anymore yeah but I think it's ripe for reclaiming though yeah because I read your piece on the pool and it was almost like let's take it back Yeah, because when when people say
1: I hate the term chicklet, what they're really saying is I hate the way people act when I tell them about my favourite books, which is sneery and and like, you know, whatever. Um, But actually, the term chicklet is fine. It just refers to a form of writing
0: that's written by women for women.
1: I like that I'm fine with chick, aren't you? I find it kind of pleasingly retro same way it I like dude on, you know
0: yeah it yeah. totally depends on the context like reading it in your article I'm like yeah look, I actually really like the term again yeah but if a guy was like oh that chick
1: I don't know I think it's <laughs> fine
0: <laughs> I enjoy it I, I don't know but I, I also love saying
1: dude a lot so and yeah you, dudes and
0: chicks weren't do you think that maybe we're in danger of over over some things then Oh, absolutely.
1: Yes. And it actually goes back to what I was saying earlier on about when sort of, you know, feminism and in, not just feminism, but like liberal thought and, you know, people trying to challenge themselves genuinely in an empathetic way meets capitalism and online culture whereby websites have to produce however many articles an hour in order to hit their page view count in order to satisfy their advertisers and so they're taking these online discussions that are like okay how do we feel about this slur that's used in fairy tale of New York should we bleep out that word how do we feel about baby it's Cold outside are there some weird things about love actually that we should think about and they just bloat them into this like sugary weird mess where it's like these snowflakes want a christmas
0: do you know yeah, what i mean yeah i yeah. remember i wrote an article years ago about how like i interviewed people that don't like roast dinners <laughs> and yeah. i got like i literally got well not a death threat but i got threats oh being my god like, how dare you say this about like
1: it's so funny i had a similar thing whereby so i've written like a lot of uh, like hundreds of articles i used to write an article a day for the pool and that you know over two and a half years that's a f- lot of articles. And some of them were about like, you know, women's refuges closing and all kinds of very serious stuff. But the only thing I ever got hate mail for was about Erwick coming out with poo um masking scents. Oh my god. Really? So like drops that you put in your toilet to like hide the smell of poo. And I just like wrote a five hundred word article taking the piss out of this funny thing. And I had all these people from, like, um, IBS societies and Crohn's disease societies being like, you have no idea how much this product helps people. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I never even thought about. Oh, my God. Eh? You probably have as much experience as I do because you worked in sort of commercial social media land where, you know, a single tweet might take two months to get signed off by a client, you okay. know. Yeah. And then that by was the time I started, you get it signed off, it's
0: like the most irrelevant thing
1: i know completely it's about like the world cup and it was a year ago <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god you're you're triggering me with these yeah. um, memories i used to write the tweets for like the pg tips monkey oh did you and be, like, that's a sweet job it was it was fun like, i remember all the meetings about like what he and what he would say and what he wouldn't say and oh oh it was my just god like,
1: wow we- and also the like um like the brand uh sort of pillars of like he is cheeky but not <laughs> yes. rude yeah. he
0: is sassy but not blah <laughs> like, <whatever. laughs> he is a feminist <laughs> is a feminist. <laughs> but yeah that would have been funny um but are you surprised in some way that you're that you didn't get any like clickbait headlines on your book about like me too and and things like that or or did you it's funny no. i because i i just think it's it's so it is so nuanced
1: Thank you so much. And you know what, I have this this weird thing whereby like, um, when I, so you've sold a book, you know what it's like, whereby you sell um, often the rights to your UK publishers, and then your agent will take the book to like an international market and say who wants to publish this in other countries. And um, th- this, I think it was the Frankfurt Book Fair was on the eve of... Um, or the weekend the Frankfurt Book Fair happened, where that happens, where people flog your book to international yeah. publishers, um, was when the Harvey Weinstein stuff first came out. When mm-hmm. I think it was Ashley Judd who came out first. Wow, yeah. About all this stuff. And there was like suddenly mushrooming overnight. There was a the thing of like, you know, opening Facebook and everyone saying me too. Everyone coming out with their own thing. And it was a really painful, powerful yeah. time to be a woman online or to be a woman at all. And it was like really this mushrooming mm-hmm. thing. And I was like, oh my God. And then I thought... I've written a book about, you know, basically male-female relationships that work and how they go wrong and how sex and power interplay. I was like, oh my God, like, I'm going to make a million pounds. I'm <laughs> thinking like, oh, my my agent is going to sell this to five million countries and all this. Because da, da, da. Um, I don't think there was any other novel at the time that was doing it or... I don't know if there has been since, and there's a couple coming out now. I've been sent the proofs for that look really interesting. Yeah, but yeah, mine I think was sort of it at, at the time, and it was a total coincidence. And and then I remember thinking like, oh God, is it even morally correct for me to accept money from this movement for mm-hmm. <laughs> like to me for me to like you know do well off the back of the Me Too movement? Is that okay? Um, and then like I met up with my agent a week later, and she was like. People feel like it's maybe a weird time to buy this this story. And being like, this is a weird story to put out there. It's not something that like Americans want to put in Walmart right now. Mm. I remember thinking like, oh, like this is the Me Too movement. Yes, people have gotten fired. Yes, people yes things have changed and the wheel is slowly turning. But I don't think the change is as widespread or as you know, as trickling down to as many levels as people are fooled into thinking they are yeah. by reading online articles. I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And I, I found that really interesting. And like the book didn't really get that much. I mean, it got some lovely attention, but no more than an average debut fiction would, you know? Mm. And is that inter- like funny kind of thing? It is because the, I feel like, I'm not saying that I should get all this attention or anything, but do you know <laughs> no, what I mean? No, no, no. Like I was expecting something and it actually didn't come.
0: Yeah, I thought that, that there's so much to unpick in this book.
1: There is, yeah, def- there depth, their completely is to to me. Um, uh, I don't, yeah, and I, I'm not saying I'm not. I don't want to sound ungrateful because I did get lots of lovely reviews and lovely feedback from readers who I think are founding it they were finding it really hard to navigate the sort of post-me-to workplace, especially when, like, people think that, you know, suddenly every HR department changed because this new hashtag was invented. But actually, people had a lot of, like, low-level and high-level trauma Mm -hmm. from their existing employers and colleagues that they had no idea how to process, you know? They couldn't just walk into the boardroom and be like, so-and-so felt me up at the Christmas party and I realise... That was fucked up now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I, I heard from a lot of women who were like, this helped me really unpick some things that really felt
0: like a big, you know, ghostly knot in my head, you know? Yeah, yeah. Nice. So like books like yours and these books that are coming out, I think are going to be very, very important to a lot of people growing up. And then your second novel, you're working on at the moment. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I went after too much about it. If no, you're actually the, really excited. In a
1: completely it. different direction, um, it is a kind of a, a murder mystery set in rural Ireland um, about these two filmmakers who have to uncover this big uh, murder plot. Wow, so that is different. It's very different.
0: Yeah, it's um, driving me a bit insane, but I'm enjoying it. You've done it once. You'll do it again. Uh,
1: yeah, hopefully. Oh well, thank again, you again.
0: so so much. Um, thank you, Emma. Such a pleasure to talk to you and um, come back on when you're next book's out thank Thank you i'm very honored to be here thank you thank you